0: started to look at the first four trumpets uh, last week. Today we'll look at um, five and six, and uh, there's quite a bit there. So hopefully, I shouldn't, I need one of these. I need a handout. (laughs) Thank you. All right. All right. Well, let's turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. I'm going to continue our series here. Revelation chapter 8. I'll start in verse 13, which was the end of after the four trumpets. And we talked about that that was addressing wicked, the wicked people on the earth. The seals had addressed the righteous being preserved. The trumpets are addressing the wicked on the earth during this present evil age. And then there was this eagle that was flying over, crying, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I said, that's a warning blast uh, to our unrepentant neighbors. Like these judgments you've already seen in history, the judgment that's coming at the end of history is far worse than the ones in history. Today is the day of salvation, repent and believe. This is the message that we have to share Part of the message that we have to share with the world. But let's hear now Revelation chapter 8, starting verse 13, and then we'll read through trumpet 5 and 6 as well. So it says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle, right? A bird of prey, crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth. Okay, remember we were saying in Revelation, you have to remember whether something's happening in earth or in heaven. So the saints are sealed on earth and the saints are safe in heaven. This is a woe to those who dwell on the earth. In other words, the unrighteous. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So you'll see it's bad. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft arose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or the green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like woman's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle." They have tails that sting like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as a king over them an angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then I heard the sixth angel blow his his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns, Of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They were uh, they wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lions' heads, and the fire and the smoke and the sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, uh, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them their wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their, m- of their murders or their sorcery or their sexual immorality of their thefts. So far the reading of God's word, let's stop there. So that's pretty intense. And if that's the first thing you read in scripture, I would suggest, let's get you another reading plan. Uh, let's start somewhere else. So the first four uh, trumpets, as we said, are talking about the judgments here on earth. But then we get this. And we want to recognize that throughout history, I said that we should have our theology or of eschatology, our understanding of the end times worked out before we even get to Revelation. We know enough from scripture to know those things already. So uh, Revelation is just giving us an audio-visual picture of it that's just remarkable. But here, we're, we're really getting some opposition research. The Lord is telling us, here's how the enemy works. This is what he does. We can learn a bit about Satan and about his deplorable methods and about his ideas and what he's doing. And so we have these egos that are crying, whoa, 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 to those who dwell on the earth. And so the theme of the trumpets... As we remember, Dr. Godfrey gave us a cycle of seven different uh, cycles. The theme of the trumpets is that the suffering of the wicked during this age is worse than the suffering of the saints in this age. And so that's why we highlighted throughout the entire seals series, the seven seals, it was a third of this, a third of this I'm sorry, a fourth of this, a fourth of this, a fourth of this. And here it's a third of this, right? There's more. There's more suffering for the wicked in this age than there is for the righteous. Part of that is just because there's more of them. So when death or a plague comes, it affects them more because there's more of them. But we also find out um, it has other implications too. But we wanna look at these things as we see them. First is the seventh trumpet is a locust serpent army. (laughs) And you know, what is this? And it says, first, I saw a star fallen from heaven. This couldn't be more important. Because people mess this up. He didn't say, I saw a star fall, or I saw a star falling. In the Greek, the tense of the verb is really important. It had already fallen. And we're going to conclude with, when did that fall? Because it couldn't be more important to understanding what's going on. But note, he says, I saw a star fallen. Great nuance. For those of you who know a little bit about Greek, right? it's a perfect tense verb um, that's got present significance from something that happened in the past. Something happened in the past that has ongoing significance, like the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so John is not saying that he saw it fall, but noting that it had already fallen and that past action has ongoing significance. That's going to make a huge difference for how we understand this passage. So just keep that in the back of your head for right now. And then someone was given the keys to the shaft of a bottomless pit. And this is sometimes called the abyss. And I told you before that when we want to understand Revelation, the best thing we can do is to have our Old Testament with us, not necessarily today's newspaper. So whenever we talk about the abyss or a bottomless pit in Scripture, in the Old Testament... Um, for instance, in Job, the abyss is the place of the cosmic sea dragon, which represents Satan. It symbolizes evil forces in the Psalms. It's synonymous for Hades in Ezekiel and Jonah. It's the realm of suffering and death in Exodus. The chaos over the waters uh, is always talking about of, of the uh, the abyss. The abyss was the place to which the demons... Uh, when the Gerasenes, um, when, when Jesus was casting de- uh, demons out of pigs, they wanted to go into the abyss. That was home to them, right? They're demons, they're demonic, they want to go home. In other words, there's nothing beautiful, there's nothing lovely, there's nothing holy, there's nothing good, there's nothing true. The image that you should have from all of Scripture about the abyss and from Revelation is that it's a place of evil and darkness and bad things. And so we want to notice, well, what comes forth from it, right? What comes out of it? So we want to ask, what happens in the vision? From the bottomless pit arises smoke and darkness and the sun uh, that darkens the sun. The smoke came uh, and locusts come upon the earth and they do not harm grass or any green plant or any tree. Right, right there, that's got to tell you, okay, we're in a vision because what's the primary thing your normal everyday locust is going to want? grass, green things, trees, right? This is going, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So whatever comes out of this pit, it's not so much for grass or trees or a nice salad. It's for those who do not have the seal of the Lord. And you remember, in the previous cycle, the seal is given to all of God's people in all ages. And the seal is the holy spirit the holy spirit is given we're not looking for some chip on your forehead or something else you've been given the holy spirit you belong to the lord you are his his name was put on you as you heard this morning you belong to him now and forever though you die you will live you will be preserved in this life from apostasizing and you will be standing with the lamb in the next because of Christ and because of the Holy Spirit and because of the Father. So note, this is what the scripture is saying, right? This isn't us saying as an I'm an amillennialist, right? This is what the text means. The text is telling us, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, they're allowed to torment earth dwellers. This is another Exodus motif, isn't it? We talked before all of the trumpets in one way or another were hearkening back to one of the plagues of Egypt. This is the eighth plague in Egypt, the locusts, coming out on the land. And note that they have great power, but it's limited power. When the seventh trumpet blows, that's the end. Game over. Tilt. But now we're talking about this present evil age. They can do something over a third of the earth, but not the whole thing. And again, we're not looking to count numbers. Is it really 33% of the people who suffer this? We're trying to notice they don't have unlimited power. They have limited power. It's significant, but limited. And that Exodus motif that we talked about before uh, really ought to harken back to the idea that God's people are in bondage. They're being oppressed. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord visits judgment upon their enemies and he releases them and delivers them to the promised land as he did in Exodus, so he's gonna do in this present evil age plus. That was just a type, it was a shadow, it was pointing forward to something far greater. Is our deliverance not just from slavery in Egypt but from the slavery of sin and from the slavery of Satan and from the slavery of death and not to just a promised land and geopolitical Israel but to the new heavens and the new earth. And so it's hearkening, it's pulling all of this imagery forward. The people of the Lord, you remember, were spared, uh, and the enemies were judged during those plagues. So the locust army have great power, but limited. These are visible characteristics. That's describing what it might look like and sound like. That's you know amazing images, and so John is not describing the appearance of any natural occurring insect, but demons, evil things coming out of the abyss. We should not think so much of their size, but of their ferociousness. What do these things do? What do they accomplish? What do they want? The noise of their wings was like the noise of chariots with horses running into battle. You can think of the sounds of war. If you've ever heard, well, here you hear it often, you know, fighter jets flying overhead that sound, that power. Threatening in one sense. It's also the sound of freedom for others, depending on who it is and where it's going. But it's not saying, hey, look for an F-16 somewhere in the future. It's talking about the sound of of war, the fury of war, the ferociousness. And I'm going to read a quote by Dr. Godfrey because I said that he wrote a non-published book on Revelation that I've largely relied from. And this quote is great when we talk about, well, are we to expect literal locusts and literal scorpions and literal whatever? This is a great quote from Dr. Godfrey. He says, I'm gonna read it twice. It is curious how in the history of interpretation, those most insistent on a wooden literal uh, literalism easily turn these scorpions into helicopters or radiation. If we must be woodenly literal, then the scorpions can only be scorpions. But John does not intend that we should read the book this way. In reality, these locusts are symbols of powerful sources of suffering and destruction. The most superficial study of history will bear out the point that John is making about the suffering of the wicked. Because the wicked outnumber the righteous, the wicked suffer more in wars, in disease, and in recurring tribulations of the world. All suffering in history is intended to lead people to repentance by reflecting reflecting on the realities of sin, death, and judgment. I'll read that one more time. It is curious how in the history of interpretation, those who most insist on a wooden literalism easily turn these scorpions into helicopters or radiation. If we must be woodenly literal, then scorpions can only be scorpions. But John does not intend that we should read the book this way in reality these locusts are symbols of powerful sources of suffering and destruction the most superficial study of history will bear out the point that John is making about the suffering of the wicked because the wicked outnumber the righteous the wicked suffer more in wars diseases and the recurring tribulations of this world All suffering in history is intended to lead people to repentance by reflecting on the realities of sin and judgment. Let's let that sit for a minute. It's really good. (laughs) it really help you understand the text. And so then when we heard the woes, and I said their warnings. C.S. Lewis said that suffering in this age is God's megaphone to awaken us to the reality that this age isn't all that there is. Death isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. Death apart from Jesus Christ is the worst thing that can happen to you. Cancer is really bad. It's not the worst thing that can happen to you. To be in hell for eternity is the worst thing that can happen to you. All these things are meant to awaken us to the reality. And so here, the weapons of judgment that the locusts are pre- prevented, pre- presented in a vision, but they are spiritual. They deceive. What was Satan's first trick? Did God really say? He hasn't changed. We're getting a glimpse of how the enemy works. He works by deception. He tries to deceive. He tries to deny. He tries to defend. He tries to deflect. He tries to do something other than let people see the glory and beauty of King Jesus. He hates. He's a hater from the beginning. And so here is really a symbol of spiritual blindness, sin and her consequences. Blind men groping around at noonday. I told you that sometimes people read these as if judgment is all future, whereas Romans says, the judgment has already come. They exchange the truth about God for the lie. They're already believing crazy things. How many of you can look around our world and say, it's unbelievable what people believe. Their minds are dark and are sailed by doubt. They'll believe unbelievably ridiculous stuff. That's not meaning judgment is coming, that's judgment for a hardness of heart and a rejection of the king. It's madness. And then it says there will be five months, a reign of terror. Five months, right, everyone? <gasps> okay, how long is that? When are those five months? How long was the silence in the seventh seal? 30 minutes. Now we're talking five months. It's different. How long do the saints have to wait? Eh. How long do the wicked feels like an eternity? Five months compared to a half an hour? Also interesting, for those of you who like science, guess what the average lifespan of a desert locus is. Yeah So would it make sense to someone in the first century? Oh, the, the lifespan of the locust. it's a relatively long time for these judgments and suffering when compared to the half hour of anticipation for the saints. It's a great plague. And this locust army have a king. They have a leader. They have a ruler. He has a king over the bottomless pit, over the abyss. In Hebrew, his name is Abaddon. In Greek, his name is Apollyon, which means destroyer. If you don't get anything else out of this, this, I think she should have been intuitive to me, but I'd never really put it in these terms: Satan attacks his own people. How much of a hater is Satan? He doesn't love anyone. He doesn't like anyone. At the end of the day, when he conquers, it's not like they're sitting around a fire pit high fiving one another. Woohoo! we got him. He wants to destroy those in his own army. That's wicked. That's despicable evil. He hates his own people. He hates his own army. He hates his own angels. He hates his own allies. And so the fact that he can enlist so many shows the power of this deception, shows the hardness of sin. It's profound and despicable. They torment the minds and souls of those who dwell on the earth. They're tormenting their own people. Those who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. Note verse 4 who can't he touch? Somebody read it. Who can't he touch? Those who have the seal. He can't touch you. Who can snatch you out of God's hand? Nobody. Nothing in all of creation. So Satan attacks his allies. Beloved Satan does not love anyone or anything. It is such a grand illusion, a lie, a facade to think that Satan cares about humanity in any way, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. He is using them to spew his hateful venom at God. He is seeking to devour, to destroy, and kill. He masquerades as an angel of light, but there is nothing good in him. He is a liar. He is a murderer. He is a deceiver. He is a slanderer. He is a hater. And I knew, you know, I think, oh, yeah, Satan's bad. But to think about it, it's not like he even appreciates his own army. Dennis Johnson said the devil rewards his loyal subjects with cruel torture. Running with the devil is not now, nor will it ever be, have any true joy, any peace, any love, any grace, any beauty, any truth. Sometimes people paint hell as if it'll be one big party. It'll be MTV 24-7, right? It will be unspeakable anguish always. If you think about things in a light switch, right? It's either on or off, or you can have a dimmer switch where it's more of this or less of this. And in this present evil age, right, we have sometimes more joy, less joy, you know, more sorrow, less sorrow, or whatever. But with Satan, he does not love, but he always hates. He has no joy, but always despair. No truth, but always lies. No beauty, but always ugliness. No peace, but always condemnation. No life, always death. No light, always darkness. And in Revelation, it's trying to make this so clear, So, when these carry on birds fly over and say, Woe to you who dwell on the earth, repent and believe. Because when that seventh trumpet blows, it is too late. Today is the day of salvation. And this king, this hideous creature from the abyss, it's been the same battle from the beginning. He rebelled from the Lord before the creation and was cast out of heaven. He also deceived Adam and Eve. And note that he didn't kill Adam and Eve. He convinced them to commit suicide, basically. If you eat of this tree, you will die. Did God really say that? God didn't say that. Go ahead and do it. He didn't kill them. He convinced them to do it. He convinced Cain to kill Abel. This is what he does. He's a deceiver, he's a liar, he's a hater, he is wicked. And so the battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent rages until the king returns. The next thing we want to look at is trumpet six, the horse-serpent army. The sixth trumpet is the second woe the second warning blast to humanity. And it really is talking about death. And death is really the 10th plague in Exodus, isn't it? The final one. Where who was spared? Those who had the blood. Who was not? Firstborn of those who didn't. So again, note that it's a limited judgment. Judgment but it's pointing forward to a total judgment. Here, it's over a third of all of humanity. Significant number. But when the king returns, it will be all the wicked over here and all the righteous over here. Never again to meet, never to be at war, never to touch one another, never to engage, none of these things. So this is a huge army. Twice ten thousand times ten thousand. He says he heard a number. How many are the saints in heaven? A multitude that can't be counted. It said, when we looked at the seventh seal. (laughs) This is saying, gosh, twice ten thousand times ten thousand. That's a huge army. Yes, but the saints of the Lord can't even be counted. There are so many. It's trying to compare and contrast the greatness. And note there seems to be a heightening here. Horses and not locusts. They now kill, don't just torture. Their tails are like serpents, not just scorpions. Their heads are like horses uh, uh, and lion's heads now. And the key of this to what we're saying is it says out of their mouth. They're doing something, right? It's not talking about literal horse serpents. (laughs) You know, these weird looking creatures that are going to run around the earth. What comes out of their mouth? Lies, deception, hatred, evil, evil speaking. Out of the mouth comes what's in the heart. It's revealing who they are is showing them forth to be evil and wicked. They are not the Lord's. They are immaterial beings who do not kill with a physical sword, but through their evil, vile, hateful deception, they convince us to destroy ourselves and one another through our sinning. And we do. We can see that every day. And note how chilling it is that in the midst of all this, those not killed do not repent. They don't turn from their deceitfulness and from their hardheartedness, from their idolatry and their murderers. In other words, they don't turn from violating the first table of the law, worshiping God, and they don't turn from their hating their na- loving their neighbor. It's a complete loss. It's a complete death that they're engaged in. And note that this is the opposite of the life-giving great commission. Go and make disciples. Go and destroy your own people. Can you imagine Jesus' great commission? Hey, go and destroy all the Christians. Incomprehensible. And so Revelation is drawing a contrast between the Lord and Satan. Satan and it's going to become even more pronounced as we go through Revelation, but the picture here is great. The great destruction, the Antichrist. The Antichrist mimics Christ. He masquerades as an angel of light, but everything about him is a lie. He's Antichrist in everything. There's no way in which Satan is pro-Christ. I'm like, 10% for him, and 90% hate him. No, he's antichrist and the antichrists that are already in the world. That John said, you're not waiting for that great antichrist. The antichrist is already amongst us. Anything in our culture, anything in our society, anything that creeps into the churches that's contrary to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ or to the word of God is antichrist. You're either for me or against me, Jesus said. There's no neutral ground. The stakes couldn't be higher. Does that make sense? All right, so then, note again, as we said, things come out of their mouth. There's this little thing about the lion-lamb army. The lion-lamb army, we've already seen in the seals, uh, in the seventh seal, is that they're sealed by God. They're protected and preserved. They are a kingdom. They're preserved from falling away in this life, and they are able to stand in the next. Beloved, you will not fall away because you're so awesome. Do I believe that? I believe most of you are pretty awesome. You won't fall away because Jesus died for you and because Jesus lived for you, and because Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father for you, and because the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a seal and a surety and a guarantee that nothing will separate you from the love of God. You will not fall away. That's a great promise. That shouldn't make us cocky or arrogant or make us think, well, I can just live however I want then. (laughs) We above all people should be the most grateful and humble and rushing out to do good. Because it's who we are, it's who we're created to be. So, what I want to close with is this, because it's such a key. This star. When did this star fall? Turn your Bibles to Luke 10. So remember, John said, I saw a star fallen. It had fallen. It's, it fell at some point. When? Right? The main views uh, that people have about this star are that it fell before the foundation of the earth, which I submit to you is not the case, or that it's a graphic image of the happenings in the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. Which I think is true. Look at Luke 10, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his vineyard go your way behold i am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves sounds like this present evil age right carry no money bag no knapsack no sandals and greet no one on the road whatever house you enter first say peace be to this house and if a son of peace is there your peace will rest upon him but if not it will return to you And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Um, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick uh, in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day um, for Sodom than for this town. Woe to you. Kind of echoes of what the birds are saying. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethesda. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, uh, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down into Hades, into the abyss. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And I said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I submit to you, Jesus is saying in Luke, as he sends out his disciples on their mission, that he saw a star falling from heaven. He saw Satan falling from heaven. Satan has power, but he has limited power. And so Jesus is sending out his disciples to go and do his work in the midst of all the hatred, in the midst of all the deception, in the midst of all the power. And it says that they have power over scorpions. They have power over serpents. It's not meaning that they literally walked on these things, but they had power over evil. They were casting out demons. They were healing the sick. They were forgiving people's sins. They were doing all the things that they do in the name of the Lord that the church does during this age. People are sometimes looking for a day when you're literally going to hold you know, serpents or snakes and they won't harm you. Beloved, Jesus says, flee the, uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's power over serpents. That's power over scorpions. That's power over Satan. He can't take you. It's in this present evil age, the star fallen was when Christ's ministry had come, when the fullness of his mission had come, when he poured out the Spirit on the earth, when he poured out that seal, which is given at Pentecost and given to all of the Christians during this present evil age so that they are preserved. He gives us a prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory for a little while, right? For how long? Forever. Forever. Is that some future hope or some present reality? Forgiveness of our sins? Leading you not into temptation? Delivering you from evil? Now. Now. In part, then in full. There'll be a day when you're not even tempted anymore, but you are not your own. You belong to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What John saw was a star that had fallen and it fell when Christ came. If you think about the book of Romans, remember when Job came to the Lord, he was allowed into the the heavenlies. And he said, hey, have you considered your servant Job? And uh, the Lord said, hey, you know, he's going to serve me. He's going to stand by me. And Satan's and God get into this whole thing. That's another Sunday school lesson. Uh, But anyway, he was in heaven. He was before the throne of God. Jesus saw he's cast out. He's not there in his own lifetime. And then when you hear the book of Romans, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Nobody. Who could possibly go stand before the throne of God and accuse you? He's barred. All of his minions are barred. There's no prosecuting attorney going before the Lord, bringing any charges against you because you have been set free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Nobody can do that. He's been cast down. He's been cast out. He has power, he has sway here on earth, limited, but he has power. He has zero power, zero authority, zero influence, zero anything in heaven and zero any of it in the new heavens and the new earth. So you're seeing the battle. You're seeing the skirmishes. And yes, he's powerful and yes, he's mighty. But Jesus Christ said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for your word. We thank you for comforting us. We thank you for enlightening us about the tactics of our enemy. And we thank you that you preserve us from them. We pray that we be be even more vigilant in the battle as you conform us more and more to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.